Hello, everyone. This is Noah. And I'm Simon. And welcome to the Resolve Podcast. We're your resource for all things mental health, academic success, and personal growth. Devoted to helping students thrive and build the resilience to succeed in school and in life. Okay, Dave, welcome on. Welcome aboard. Um, you're part of my uh, my networking extravaganza or journey I've been on where I met uh, with Ryan Forsyth. Ryan Forsyth, is that his name? Yeah. I could not correct you. I always say Forsyth or Forsyth either way, I think. <laughs> yeah, anyway, actually from somebody else that he interviewed, they told me to speak to to Ryan and then Ryan decided... Well, after I asked him, can you connect me with people? He was more than generous to connect me with lots of really interesting people. And I've had the pleasure and privilege to speak with a lot of people. So Dave, thank you so much for, for coming on and speaking with us. Of course, I greatly appreciate the opportunity and the time. So setting the frame for Dave, we're going to learn about how Dave spends his time a little bit just on the ground right now. And then we're going to learn about Dave's mental health story and how advocacy plays an important role in mental health support and recovery. Let's get right into it. Dave, tell us a little bit about yourself. Oh, geez. I, I love that question. As someone who's neurodivergent, when someone says, tell us a little bit yourself, that anxiety kicks in of where to begin. And I've, I've never been good at that answer because I've always been like, okay, I'll start here. Um, so I'll do my best for you to make this very short and sweet about me. So I am a individual that has been diagnosed with quite a lot of mental illnesses, such as ADHD, OCD, dysthemia, which I believe is now called persistent depression disorder, I believe is called now, uh, diagnosed with, it started off as high functioning anxiety, but now I was told that I, I have a form of anxiety that basically combines a lot. I have social anxiety, I have high functioning anxiety, I have the most common one I deal with is uh, health anxiety, uh, formerly known as hypochondria. That one is that is probably, in my opinion, the most difficult anxiety to deal with because you're consistently focused on body changes. Like if I have a chest pain, oh no, I'm having a heart attack and it's instant. So I would say that that was probably my, my most difficult anxiety to deal with. I've also been diagnosed with 15 concussions after, you know, professional wrestling career that was short-lived um, security career for almost nine years. And numerous other concussions in slip and falls and being robbed and a lot of other situations that I've been you know, involved with in regards to like working. On top of all of that, I was in brain injury rehab in 2011 for five months. I was supposed to be there for a year, but I discharged early because I just, I needed to. After five months, I was like, you know what? I just, I was honestly financially struggling because I was on WCB at the time. So I was like, I need to get out of this. I can go back to work. Do I agree with my decision in hindsight now? No, I probably should have stayed for the full year because just trying to adapt after chasing professional wrestling security work for over 20 years and then just being put in a situation where it's like, I don't know where to go. I don't know what to work on. I have all these physical limitations and restrictions. I have uh, mental illnesses that just make everyday life as, as a whole just very difficult at times. And I didn't know where to go. I, uh, I never had a plan B. 
um, uh, speaking for myself primarily being neurodivergent, it's very difficult to have plan B or plan C because plan A itself can be so difficult to, to put into place and figure it out. But I knew what I wanted to do when I was four years old, which was professional wrestling. Um, when I lost dad in 2006, I didn't focus on security with the intent of becoming a police officer and going to SWAT. That didn't live out well due to my concussions. So when I lost all those after 16 to 20 years of chasing them, I didn't know where to go. I had no idea what I was doing. And it was stressful trying to be a father and raising a son and also dealing with my ADHD and my concussions and my depression. Then I accidentally stumbled upon public speaking. Um, a friend of mine was with a, a former organization called We Can Rise Up. And she asked me to come speak to 900 plus youths and share my story. Now, when the conversation happened, I was nervous because I was petrified of public speaking. Um, I'm, I'm safe to say that I'm one of those people that had that as number one fear. Um, just speaking in public just was very anxiety driven because I do have a stuttering issue as well. Uh, so I've always been very self-conscious with that. But as you know what, I'm like, what do I have to lose? I, I, I no longer am doing security or, or chasing that police stream. I no longer do professional wrestling. I've always had uh, the interest of being an entertainer and just being someone that people look to for inspiration. So I was like, you know what? Maybe it's time for me to exit my comfort zone here and do something I've never done, but I've been so scared of doing. And I'm so glad I did. When I, when I spoke to those 900 plus youths for over eight hours, because we had them separated by classes. So it was an eight hour day of speaking. No other way to be basically thrown to the walls than that. <laughs> Being told, you know, you're speaking to almost a thousand kids for eight hours but I loved it. I found so much healing with it that I learned that one of the best ways for me to heal was to help other heals with me. And I remember after sharing my story, which basically covered bullying, depression, suicidal ideation, concussions, mental illness, confidence, and so much more. I realized that when I had a group of young girls come up to me and my friend crying and saying that my story and my friend's story motivated them and it gave them strength and it gave them that like internal fire. Like, you know what? I can do this. I can get over, I can overcome this. That was the defining moment of my life where it's like, you know what? This is where I need to be. I did some more speaking appearances after that. And then I accidentally stumbled upon youth mentorship. I was doing a radio podcast uh, appearance and the host invited on a teenager to share her story with bullying. And then surprisingly, he asked me to give her some advice and to basically mentor her. And I was like, sure, I'll do that. Uh, they'll go backwards a little bit. When I was in security, I worked a lot with uh, at-risk youth. I, I worked a lot with kids who are in gangs and drugs. So I just, I had that natural not necessarily protection um, mindset, but that like, I want to help you because I've been there mindset. So I gave her advice and she became the first youth of 30 that I, I would mentor for nine years. And to this day, we're still best friends. Um, the reason why I chose mentorship over coaching is I've always felt that mentorship was more longstanding and more personal. It was more friendship based, more relationship focused. And that's what I've always been about. So to be her, you know, still be like a big brother to her, a, a friend to her after over 10 years now and being invited to her wedding, that was just like, that's what I wanted where I was like, you know what, 
this is where I have to go. This is the direction I have to go in. And being neurodivergent, one of the biggest struggles I have with ADHD is the all or nothing mindset, meaning that I give my all attention to something, which means I, I don't give any attention to nothing else. And I became so hyper-focused on just mentoring youth and this whole journey of nine years of doing it, I thought I was helping them, but realistically speaking, it was helping me a lot because my, my struggles are daily. Um, I, I've learned in my mental health journey to take it day by day, not to plan for a cure, not to focus on curing it, but just be like, okay, you know what? Today's going to be a good day. And if it's not, then I'll deal with it as, as it comes up. Because with dysthemia, it's so unpredictable. I can have a trigger and then my whole afternoon could be just on mental grounding and meditating and reading and trying to cope with that. So becoming a speaker and a youth mentor changed my life dramatically because before I was kind of driven by ego. I was kind of like, I want to become a professional wrestler and be entertainer and have people come to me and cheer for me and, or boo for me, whichever one they choose. And then I was just chasing that ego as opposed to my legacy. And when I started to mentor youth and realizing that to me was more powerful mentally and spiritually and emotionally for me than anything else I could have ever dreamed of doing. So I, I'm, I'm happy to say that I'm a former youth mentor. Now, the reason why I say former is I discontinued that path in 2021 after seeing my neurologist and being told that my uh, concussions have dramatically affected my ADHD symptoms to the point that my symptoms may actually worsen as I get older. I was also told that I'm being watched for early signs of CTE due to all the headshots that I've had. Because uh, now they found a research that CTE is not only caused by concussions, it's now caused also by how many hits the head you get. So I was like, well, I got 15 diagnosed concussions, but that doesn't mean I don't have any other damage from any other hits. Because when I played football, I played what's called defensive tackle or nose guard, which is on the defensive line. And we were consistently headbutting with the offensive line, like constant headshots. Um, so who knows? And then professional wrestling, same thing. Lots of headshots too, with you know DDTs and and you know the the the, the fake punches to the head that sometimes land. So it was just when I got told that my symptoms could worsen, it scared me. It made me realize like, okay. And then my neurologist made a good point saying that my mentorship, even though it's helping me maybe adding a lot of toll on me that I'm not aware of in, in regards to the fact that I was working a full-time job doing 40 to 50 hour weeks, but I was also mentoring for 30 to 35 hours a week as well as raising two kids. So she's like you, and to basically be blunt here, when you're mentoring youth that are dealing with depression and bullying and their, you know, their sexual identity and, and all that emotion that they bring to you, as an empath, it, it, it like, it stays with you. So like when I would finish my sessions with the youth, what they would say to me would stay with me and the, the emotions that they bring would stay with me. And I would carry that with me until the next session and I can help them through it. And I didn't realize just how mentally and emotionally exhausting it was for me to be focusing on a full-time job as well as uh, mentoring basically full-time hours as well. And I never charged for it. I, it was all volunteer and, I realized, I'm like, you know what, maybe it's time I make mental health my focus, like my mental health, taking care of myself, because I started realizing that my symptoms were becoming very strong. I was struggling with memory issues again. I was struggling with emotional regulation. 
I was constantly depressed, constantly, like just, just angry. And then COVID came and during all that with COVID and that was extremely mentally triggering due to my mental, oh, sorry, due to my health anxiety where for the first year I was consistent, like, oh my gosh, we have COVID. Oh my gosh, my son has asthma. This could be like, this could be life-threatening for him and just so much going on. Uh, so that's why I no longer do it as extensively as I did in the past. I still do it here and there because now currently I have chosen to go towards something that has been in my life since I was four years old, which is gaming. Gaming has always been a, a form of therapy for me. Um, being that I'm neurodivergent, I'm also very hyper creative and gaming allows me to enter that mindset of just creativity and just being able to feel as if I'm in control and it allows me to, you know, just have that sense of comfort and calmness. And to be honest with you, I'm so happy when I'm gaming. It's such a, a great experience, especially during COVID, to play with friends online and to make new friends online. And my, my favorite thing about gaming is the community. Like you're around people who love gaming as well. So you can talk to your to your contacts and gaming about what new games are coming out or what current games you're playing. And it just has like that natural free-flowing conversation. And in 2020, when I, I was booked to go down to the States to speak to 4,000 kids and it was canceled because of COVID. And I was like, well, that sucked. And I was like, well, what can I do now that is very relevant to use? And I, that's when I came across uh, social media and streaming in regards to video gaming, Twitch. And I was like, wait a minute, I can do that. I, I can stream video games while talking about mental health and, and so forth. So that's what I started to do. And then I created a team called League of Valiance, which is basically a stream team of mental health advocates where we, we all stream separately and we all talk about mental health. We do mental health advocacy. Um, I joined my uh, this great organization called Unsinkable, Unsinkable Youth that um, strives to bring awareness to mental health and sharing stories and just becoming a very popular ecosystem of just people sharing stories. And it's been a great journey to be able to finally say, I found somewhere where I belong as opposed to being somewhere where I feel I have to force myself to fit in. And that has been my, if I can go back to my, to my younger years and give myself some advice, it would be, do not try to fit in, just try to belong because trying to fit in for so long just caused me so much anxiety, so much depression, so much stress. Um, becoming what I call the mental chameleon where it's like, you got to figure out who you need to be around this certain people. And I'm like, you know what? I am so done masking. I am so done pretending. Um, I'm 36 years old. So like I I've done it all. I I've done the, you know, being fake. I've done the trying to fit in. And as a 36 year old man, who's raising two teenagers now, I can honestly tell you it, it's difficult. It's so much easier said than done to, to belong and to not allow, you know, peer pressure and societal pressures, it, especially for kids nowadays, it is so stressful and difficult. Like, like I said, with the kids I was mentoning for nine years, all three of them, their stories were all unique, but they, 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 they had similarities with bullying and peer pressure and social media pressure. And it's scary. It's so scary. And that's why I love what you guys are doing with Resolve and what I've been doing with working with Unsinkable and my own personal journey. But I promised to make that short. It really wasn't. I'm sorry about that. I, I just, there's so much in my story to go over. There's so much that I just, 
<laughs> I want to I do better with, with direction and questions. Is No, but honest. that's <laughs> what I started with because sometimes an interview is a dialectic, much more back and forth. But I wanted you to share your story. I can't and, make a short and you can't, can't And you can't. And you don't have to. Uh, you said so many things. It's really – it's going to be hard to even – go back and decide and go through every single part of it. But it sounds like for you, you've been relentlessly bombarded with issues, problems, difficulties, and your resiliency and the power of yourself to pick yourself back up and keep going and reinvent yourself is something that is just whatever people are experiencing, hopefully not anything. Like I, I, We don't wish anything of any of this on anybody. The things that you've had to deal with, I mean, it's it's crazy, it's it's wild, and yet you're here, um, and you're not just like here, you know, sitting around not doing anything. You're reinventing the next part of who you are after COVID, after all this stuff, and saying this is who I want to be now. You went from, and I want to maybe understand the thread that connects all of them. You started both in wrestling and then in securities, all the, the these sort of protective or like strong type professions um, where you, you have muscle and you're, and you're in control and you somehow transitioned out of that into another type of mentorship, mentorship, youth support, all these kinds of things. What do you think the connection are between those two fields? I mean, it sounds like you, you jumped, but is there a connection between those two things, those two early career or idea paths that you had and what you're, what you ended up doing and ultimately what you're doing now? Honestly, it's such a, weird spectrum because you have professional wrestling which is a sports entertainment industry and very cutthroat very risky to get in that ring and then you have security which is very um it's not focused on self like you have to focus on community and it's like I, I, when i was training my officers i was telling them that you know security and policing is 90 percent public relations like you have to learn how to deal with public you have to learn how and like my father, he's still very active in security. So he was always, he's been doing security for, oh shoot, 20 years now at least. He was one who got me into it. So uh, he, when I was 18, he's like, Dave, you need to get a job. I was like, all right, fine. I'll, like, you know, getting jobs was always a stressor for me because it's like being neurodivergent, my brain works in a very complicated way compared to neurotypicals. I was like, I don't want to have a nine to five. I don't want to have a desk job. I need to be active, but most importantly, I need to be connected with, with, with what I love. But at 18, I was only focused on wrestling and wrestling was very difficult to get into because when I went into wrestling and when I was 19 years old, I went in with, I believe it was nine or 10 concussions. No, it was either seven or eight concussions at that time. And I also had shoulder surgery in 2003. So I went into the industry with, with injuries. Like I went in knowing that this industry is very physical because I grew up around it and I seen wrestlers get hurt. So I knew what I was going into, but it didn't last long. Unfortunately, I only trained for a year because on my 20th birthday, January 22nd, 19, oh, sorry, January 22nd, 2006, I was jumped with a shovel by uh, two drunk males just i was waiting on the street for my ex-wife it was 11 30 at night i don't remember much because it's all like scrambled but i remember them talking to me and i ignoring them and then when i finally confronted them and said hey how's it going i got smacked in the face with a an a and w glass mug which cut my lip wide open and when i turned 
I remember them hitting me in the head with a shovel two or three times. And after that, it's all like blank. Um, but I remember the doctor saying, yeah, you, you, you know, you're diagnosed with your 12th concussion, possibly in more because it was three, two to three hits with a shovel. And then he's like, your wrestling career is over. And I was like, my wrestling career legit got robbed from me. No, like I said, I knew going into the industry that probably saved it, your life though. Most definitely. Most definitely looking, you know, in hindsight, 2020 right now, I'm like, it was I mean, a blessing for me, I mean, but when, but when it happened, it sent me into a severe depression. I remember I told my, one of my best friends, Charmaine, I was like, I'm done. I don't want to live no more. I got nothing to live for. And she's like, Dave, just, just please hold on. Cause it's like 16 years of my life at that point was invested in becoming professional wrestling. And I never had a plan B. I could never make a plan B. I still can't. I still have that mindset. I was like, no, there's no plan B. It's I'm focused on plan A. And she's like, I promise you, eventually you'll understand that there's more to your life than just wrestling. And I'm so glad she said that to me because I saw my friends go on to world wrestling entertainment and become huge W superstars and very successful. And I was so happy for them. But a part of me was also like, I'm so jealous. Like that could have been me. And I held into that for so many years. But then I had my son two years later and I was like, okay, this is why my friend Charmaine told me to keep pushing on because I became a father and I will always say that becoming a father saved my life because it gave me perspective where like, okay, this life is no longer about me. It's uh, it still is, but it's also strongly attached to my son and now my daughter and raising them. And I've always been hundred percent honest with my kids. I've always made them aware of like, this is what dad's dealing with. This is my depression. My son has ADHD as well. And my daughter is showing signs of strong anxiety. So they are pretty understanding of mental health. Cause I've raised them. Like if I'm acting like this, I am so sorry. It's not you. It's I'm having a bad, like there's days where I remember one story really quickly here. We we're eating at Eastside Mario's and I just all of a sudden emotionally changed and I was sad. And I had no idea why my fiance was like, Dave, what's, what's wrong? I was like, Claudia, I, I don't know. I just, I feel overwhelmingly sad right now. And I started revisiting memories of like losing friends to suicide. And my ex-wife and I on our wedding night, her, her grandfather passed away because of suicide in our front yard. So it's like, I've always, I just start reliving memories and she's like, there's something wrong and that's when i started getting tested for depression um i remember when i was in rehab in 2011 for my concussions they said i had depression but they didn't really go far into it but then in 2020 i was officially diagnosed with dysthemia because she's like my doctor's like you've been dealing with this for i'm like since 2006 since my 12th concussion when i hit out of the shovel i've been dealing with depression consistently and she's like yeah you definitely have dysthemia 100 because they she's like dysthemia is usually over a year six months to a year of consistent symptoms. I'm like, yeah, this was 14 years of me dealing with it um, and numerous hospital trips with concussions. And I'm like, it was rough, but getting that diagnosis was so good to hear. Cause I'm like, okay, now I get it. Like now I know what that villain name is. Like I know what I'm dealing with. Um, so like, it's not all in my head. It's not, no. Well, and that's funny thing. Like I, I did one interview years ago where the girl's like oh this is all in your head and i'm like you're not wrong i'm like the brain is in my head i'm like but my brain has you know is not only dealing with adhd but it's dealing with 15 concussions so i was like my brain is very um 
unique. And that's why I'm so happy that I pledged my brain for donation to Concussion Legacy Foundation, because it's like, if my brain could be part of research and help long-term, I would love that because I don't want anyone to have to deal with this and, Dave, and I think all the things that comes with it. Coming back to this, when I asked you kind of the thread of jobs, I think that you've transitioned from when you were into wrestling into all the way now into streaming and gaming. There's a, there's a stream that connects all of it. It's one river to me. And the river is self-sacrifice uh, to help and support the well-being. At one point, it was the entertainment. You sacrificed your body in order to entertain people and give them something meaningful and a distraction and something that they can talk about and get excited about. That's what got you into wrestling is to make, maybe it made you feel good, but you wanted to make others feel good through the actions, through the dress, through the rehearsal, through the show. It's putting on a show for people and mm -hmm. you self-sacrificed your body for that. And then you moved to security, which was much more actually protecting people and taking care of people, making things safe for others. And you've kept following that, not giving up. And I think what sadly happens to people is that they don't, they focus too much on the specific manifestation or ex, not manifestation, but expression of their values and not the values. So your values of being a caring person, a protector, loving people, intimately making a difference in their life, that's the thread that transcends any of these particulars. And, and then you find the right expression. So when it wasn't wrestling, it was your, it was security. And then it was a son making a human life. How much more self-sacrifice can you get into? And then getting into youth mentorship, I think what burnt you out some of it, like I'm, I have the same thing where I'm working with people all day as a therapist, but you, you, you work, put so much in, so much self-sacrifice, but not, enough, not a lot of compensation, right? You did it all for free. And for some people, that's, I know you have the heart of the, your heart is bigger than the planet, but that can be hard for people because it's an exchange. When, when, when someone pays you to do something like that, there's a bit more of an exchange that creates an equilibrium where you're able to, I don't know how to explain it. Other, I don't know. Maybe I'm off with this, but it sounds like you carried that completely with you because you saw them as friends. It was less professional. The boundaries were blurred. But your whole theme here is help, 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 help. And now Twitch, you love to game, but you don't just want to game for yourself. You want to talk about mental health, get advocacy out there, create community, community support, love. That's what transcends all of yourself, all of these particular careers and things that you've been experiencing is that's just in your, your bloodline and your DNA is that and just continual reinvention of, of, of your experience and how you're living. It's, it's just crazy how many times you've just, yeah, you're, you, you, you're in one place. You say, you know what? Got to stop this. I'm doing this thing now. And I know that it's maybe you talked about being like a sort of neurodivergent <laughs> thing, but there's a way to use that to your advantage. You're 100%. clearly, clearly devoted. And, but I think that, that your personality and your values shine out through all these sort of disparate th stories that you've been telling us. It's it, it you, you're not wrong. Uh, when my mother, uh, when she left me when I was four, I didn't see her until I was 20. So when she left and I had to deal with growing up without a mother and that, that immediately made me feel as if I had no worth. Like I had no value because I blamed it on me. I was like, no, no she left. And my dad's like, no, like she did not leave because of you. But I always had that mentality that it was because I'm like, she left me. Um, and then I found out about all the, uh, the drug use and the partying and the alcohol abuse that she was struggling with. And I was like, oh, wow, she 
maybe her leaving me was the best thing for me at that time because my grandparents told me that they didn't meet me until I was 18 months old when they had to go and pick me up at a party house where my mom left me. And I was like, holy cow. So I always had this mentality of being a loyalist because I know how it felt to have someone that you love just leave unannounced. And then when I, when I reacquainted with her when I was 20, it was a lot of healing process, a lot of anger, a lot of resentment that to go through. And, you know, we, we went through it, but you're not wrong. Like I've always had this feeling of kind of like Robin Williams, that guy loved making people laugh, but deep down inside, he was dealing with a lot of depression and sadness and loss himself. And I was like, I don't want to go that route where I spent all my life trying to make other people happy and never once sitting down, like, okay, you know what, what can I do for me? And that's why I, I made the decision of, I'm going to find a balance here. What makes me happy? What oh, makes you're not me... going to work 70 hour weeks no. or <laughs> a full-time job and work 35 hours a week no. to helping other people. You no. know, that's a very Robin I... Williams-esque <laughs> type thing. And you couldn't, you couldn't sustain that. It's not sustainable for anybody, for yeah. anybody, because uh, the human brain, even if you don't have ADHD or autism or anything else, it cannot handle it. Like there's so much research out there that is proving that we can't multitask effectively and, and healthy wise. Like it's just, it's not something that we can accomplish. And however, though, we live in a society that is so focused on do this and then do that, do this and then do that. But there's no, like, there's not much talk about, Hey, how are you doing? Like my biggest uh, impact right now with social media and streaming and content creation is I'm being recognized as a content creator that focuses not on the numbers, like the viewership, the follows. I focus on how are you as the person doing? Uh, my strong belief is you can have a hundred million followers, but not the expense of your mental health. Uh, you can have 75,000 people watching your stream, but if your mental health is not well, it's it's not good for you. So I'm of the, the movement of, yeah, trace your dreams, but make sure no matter what your dream is, mental health is the priority. Like it is number one, because um, I've learned in my struggles, like in 2009, my spleen was enlarged by 14 inches because of stress. So now every four years, I got to go get my spleen evaluated to make sure there's no tearing or damage to it because of stress. In 2009, I was working 68 hour, 60 to 80 hour weeks and just overly stressed. Then I became addicted to uh, Advil liquid gels, which may seem minor, but when you're taking 18 to 20 pills a day of that, um, it, it makes you sick. So yeah, like we live in a very counterproductive society right now where well, it's interesting all... it's it's almost like dave because there's a paradox here and it's reflected very well in a jewish teaching that i want to read to you i'll read it in hebrew and then i'll translate it it says the hillel is one of the famous rabbis uh, around the turn of the of the century or the, the um like from bce to ce um he used to say if i am not for me who will be for me and if I'm not, if I'm for myself alone, what am I? If not now, then when? If I'm not for me, who will be for me? And if I'm only for me, then what am I? And if not now, when? And you're, you went from, 
Like you've balanced, you've been balancing that needing to be for others, needing to be with yourself. It's weird in our society. You were saying like there's there's this emphasis. People aren't as focused on their mental health, but there's also less community. It's a weird thing. People are more isolated, and yet they're they're also not taking care of themselves. But they're also not connecting with others. It's a weird it's a weird thing that we're seeing, and you're trying so hard to dance a fine line between being caring for you and continuing to be the superhero that you are of caring for other people. Yeah, totally. It's definitely a day-to-day struggle where I, I see it all the time, like the lack of empathy. My biggest, when I, when I was doing mentorship, my biggest focus was, was emotional intelligence. Because like emotional intelligence to me is so underutilized in our society. Like people don't understand. Like when I say, hey, do you, how's your emotional intelligence level? They're like, what's that? I'm like, okay. <sighs> like it's it just it frustrates me because it's like i it's not your fault like this is not anyone's fault because this is how we've all been conditioned that's how we've all been raised so I, i'm like okay let's let's calm down here mentally but you know let, let's ground ourselves let's go through this routine and once the mind is calm i can then give you the information because you'll be more open to it because when people start talking about mental health there's like a variety of responses to it. Some people are like, oh, whatever, it's hippie stuff. It doesn't work. It, it, it makes no sense. But the other people are like, mm, that's a that's a very uncomfortable subject for me because of lived experience. And then there's people that just say, you know what? I'm all into it. Let's let's do it. And then there's the people that uh, unfortunately see mental health as a trendy topic and they jump on it to raise their views and their engagement. Um, but no matter what section or category that you're in, there's a part of you inside of you for all of us that says, I know this is a problem, but I'm so conditioned by my parents and they were conditioned by their parents and so on that it's all work, all stress. Like, I don't like, you've probably heard a lot of times in your profession that stress is normal. It's not <laughs> like it's only normal because we've accepted that. Like we said, no, stress is a part of life. It, it makes you sick and you move on. And it's like, you know what? Stress is it's it's normal for human behavior. We all go through it. But what the problem with society is, is they make it where stress is like this goal. Like, like if, a, you're not, well, if you're not, if you're not busy like, enough or stressed, exactly. Enough, you're not, you're not you working have worth enough. as a human. Oh, the, the fact that you just said that hurts my core, but so true because right now I'm going to be transparent with you. I've been struggling for the last eight months trying to find a new job and it's, it's stressful. And I know for a fact that in a lot of people's eyes, because I'm not working full-time and making money, I've lost value as a person. And to know that it, it hurts because I know it's true. Um, however, I've also made a decision to myself saying, you know what, the only people that truly matter to me in regards to their opinions is my family and my family are so supportive of me because they know like hey you spent the last 15 years of your life working like non-stop that I became so mentally sick and burnt out that I was like I need a break so you know it's kind of like a like a back and forth for me where some days my imposter syndrome is very like haha you're a loser if you don't have a job but then some days I'm like, yeah, but I'm happy still because I'm doing what I love. I get the, I get my proper rest. Like I, COVID, my family and I, we had COVID in April, 2021. It sucked for a month uh, of us all being sick. However, it taught me so much as well. 
it gave me so much time with my kids because they've been homeschooled now and they've decided to stay homeschooling because they don't like the school system and they've learned that. Um, it made me realize that, hey, we can take time to ourselves and chill and relax and meditate. And if you can't take 10 minutes a day to meditate, you need to meditate because it's like meditation has helped me so much. And there's a different variety of ways to do it. My favorite is walking meditation. I love it. Just go for a walk and meditate. But uh, my main focus is just helping people create and maintain healthy habits where it's a balance. Like uh, my biggest pet peeve when I was in the entrepreneur world was hustle, no sleep. Mm-hmm. I'm like, what? I'm like, how does that make any sense? I'm like, any sense? Sleep deprivation can lead to heart disease, diabetes, so much other health risks, all for what? To, to have like this societal like proclamation of, hey, I'm a hustler. I don't sleep. Team knows that I'm like, dude, it's not sustainable. You're going to burn out. You're going to get sick. It's not healthy. Um, and that's still a very common trait. And, and there's and an like antidote push. to that. Dave. Right? <laughs> and the antidote, it's an ancient one. It's called the Sabbath. It's existed forever. One day off. Take it. Rest restore, rejuvenate. So that's what I'll be doing starting tonight. Friday night, Saturday night, phones off, community time, family time, yep. um, time outside of the busyness for sure. I want to ask you a couple of things, Dave. Your two things that really have stood out to me is A, you talk about mental health like sports and the weather. Uh, and I say that in a positive way, meaning most people are very comfortable to talk about the weather and sports and politics and COVID and this and that. And you talk about mental health with such natural fluidity. It's like, yeah, this is, this just is. I, I, I can just imagine how validating and normalizing that is for so many people. And I, I'm struck by how you speak to it with your children and that you have such open conversations about them and you give them the space probably to be so open about mental health. And I just wanted to point that out and then ask you the question of, Tell me about what it is to be the role of the advocate, the role of the peer, the role that you embody and and placed yourself in within the mental health world. What's that like? It all started with um, security. When I started studying and learning so much about psychology and human behavior, because insecurity, like I said, is 90% public relations. And I was dealing with people with schizophrenia and drug addiction and alcohol abuse. Like I had knives pulled on me. I was tested for HIV once because I had a person spit on me with, and was bleeding and they spat in my eye. Um, I was dealing with a variety of psychology uh, and just struggles. And I wanted to learn more. I became so hyper-focused on, on, on studying psychology that that's all I read. And then when I became a mental health advocate, it was totally by accident i just started sharing my story on facebook i said you know what i'm going to start sharing like um after i i was discharged from rehab i was like and then i did my public speaking appearances and then I did my, my dementorship i was like oh, you know what? i'm going to share my story more because obviously it's relatable and people are emotionally gravitated towards it uh for me mental health advocacy is kind of it depends on the person you're talking to because some people think mental health advocacy is a joke What's it to you though? Uh, to me, it's, it's a lifestyle. It's me just being honest, being like, Hey, I deal with this. 
this is my struggle. This is my transparency. This is me being real. This is me being honest. And I think that's the most powerful way to look at it because you're being full transparent. Uh, there's no BS. There's no, I'm trying to hop on a trend here. It's, hey, I was diagnosed with all this stuff. I dealt with suicidal ideation three separate occasions. The last time I didn't almost make it. I've lost four friends as a suicide. It's about re being real to me. It's just um, the only reason why I recognize myself as a mental health advocate is because I've been recognized as that by Unsinkable and other uh, brands. For me personally, I'm just someone who's dealing with this on a day-to-day -day basis, sharing my story and being there to, to listen to other people. If your focus or your dream is to be like, hey, you know what? I want to become a mental health advocate. The first thing I got to say to you is make sure that you're doing it in a sense where it just allows you to share your real story and share who you really are. Because like you said, I speak so comfortably about mental health because it's, it's entirely who I am. Like I'm just someone who struggles and I'm not very, I used to be, like I said, I used to mask. I used to pretend all the time. I didn't start speaking about my, my mental health to 2011. So from 2010 down, I never spoke about it. I hid it. And as soon as I started sharing my story and becoming a recognized advocate, it's helped me so much because it's, it's real and it's, um, it's, it's a very powerful position to put yourself in, to know that your story can truly inspire someone else. That to me is advocacy is, is inspiration through, through reality. Just, just being real and being honest and never being ashamed to say, you know what guys, today's not a good day. Like last week I put on Twitter, today's a bad day for me. I'm dealing with this. And I was ready for the toxic positivity and it came, oh, just think positive thoughts. Oh, just do this. I'm like, guys, that doesn't work. Toxic positivity is, it, it does not work. It's okay to have a bad day. It's, it's okay to be real with it. And so truth, for you, advocacy is about truth. And I think- Truth, 100%. What's, what's what, compassionate truth, it's like there's a part of, when you are speaking the truth, that you experience, then you are telling other people that you are giving them permission implicitly to actually speak the truth. And so there's the cathartic, expressive, I'm not That's alone, I'm heard. Cathartic. cathartic, expressive, I'm heard, I'm not alone. People understand me because I'm speaking and people are listening and hearing and, and, and being there with me. And that's part of the advocacy. But the other part is that other people start doing that and then they can get help. Because so many people are not getting help because they're not talking about it with anybody. And so an advocate is sort of this representation of somebody who is willing to talk about mental health like the weather. And not everybody has to be an advocate in this big public sense. But even in the world of the people around you, think about what impact you can have by just being honest. And then also asking other people how they're doing and making sure that it's safe for them to talk about it. And that is in and of itself healing. But what is even more important from that is that then people let them in, let somebody in, and then they can get help if they need more help. They've, they've taken that first step to come out of the shell and now people can see them and then help can come. And so do you have like a story that you want to tell us about just someone that you've helped? I know you've sure you've helped so many, so many people. Is there one that sticks for your, out in your mind as like someone that you helped, that you mentored and just you've gotten to see them grow and, and, oh, <laughs> um, I am still very close to all the kids I mentored 
and their families. So seeing them today and what they've done and, you know, like I've always told them that mentorship for me was I am there to tie your shoelaces when they come untied, but you do all the walking after that. Um, I've always like uh, my friend Morgan, who is the first youth I mentored. She's like, Dave, thank you so much for saving my life. And I'm like, I didn't do that. I'm like, I was just there to ask you questions that got you thinking individually and it's got you thinking about your own self and being like, oh, hey, I can do this. And I, I told her, I was like, my role as your mentor was to help you realize that the hero you need is the one that's running right within you. Um, so Morgan, her name is Morgan. Um, she's clear me forever for saying her, her, her first real name, but, uh, uh, you know, you know, the routine with, with, uh, with Foyt, right. Uh, but yeah, she's like, you can say my name, Morgan. Uh, we're very close. She came to me with a very intense bullying situation that involved, that involved borderline assault. Like it was, she was dealing with serious assault and dealing with that in a very dark way. Like she was falling into depression fast and, Knowing what she went through back in 2012 to 2017, I would think it was she dealt with it. And where she is today, she's a mother. She's a hard worker. Um, she's very loyal. And she's an amazing person. And to know that I was part of that journey, just to be there with her and to watch her go through all that and come out even stronger that right there was payment enough for me. People always ask me like, Dave, if you're so good at mentorship, why don't you charge? The number one reason I never charged is because I knew youth and families struggled getting professional help financially. And I wanted to be there as a person that made them feel like they were really being helped. There was no like financial gain of it. And that's why I never charged. Even though I, I could have, I'm like, I don't want to. I had my full-time job. This is something that I just did because I loved doing it and just seeing where Morgan is and Jasmine, another youth I mentored, she's doing very well also. And Kira, like all these kids um, that are just doing so good and just knowing that I was part of that journey was everything to me. It's, it's a piece of the puzzle. It's a piece of the puzzle. It's a certain time, a certain place that you had a relationship with somebody that allowed them to be more open and more honest about the struggle and to contribute to getting out of it. It sounds like advocacy is sort of a radical, honest truthfulness combined with reach a vulnerability to reach out and actually get help and do something about it. And, and to take that resiliency that you have, which is, I'm going to keep going. Uh, I'm going to keep going. I'm going to keep going. I'm going to keep trying. I know my worth. I know my value. And part of my value is, to help other people find their value. I think you mentioned your name is Buddy. Tell me tell me what it is, Hero. Buddy. Um, sorry? You're, don't, aren't you Hero Mentor? Oh, hero? yes. I, I used to be called Hero Mentor. However, I changed that. That's my real name, Dave Matthew Body. Okay. Um, it, it was an OCD thing. The reason why I changed my name, my branding is because every time that I saw Hero Mentor, my brain was like, create content that is mentorship focus and it just right. it drove me it drove, it drove me bad yeah i was like i can't do this no more i had to change it so uh i'm well recognized as dave matthew body with my speaking um i used to have a brand called bodyguards united which ran for eight years so um but yeah the reason why my name was hero mentor is one of the kids i was mentoring he said to me you're like the hero mentor helping us find our heroes and it just it stuck with me 
but mentally it was not well for me. <laughs> it was like I would I would write a tweet like, hmm, is that relevant to oh, mentorship? And I was like, no, I can't do it. Can't do it. So yeah, Dave Matthew Body is is my uh my stage name, if you will. It's it's my branding name. It's and not my my legal name. My legal name is Dave Matthew Tweedle, but I go by Dave Matthew Body because my father's right. name is Body and it's a legal alias. It's confusing. It's a long story. Basically, my father wanted to change my name but my mother said no and never so never happened and i just never changed it <laughs> just i've always kept it uh, but it's um advocacy is i always get emotional with it because i know it is such a powerful position uh, such a powerful label and unfortunately with that also becomes frauds also comes people that say hey this is a trending topic and subject i'm going to jump in on that to get you know viewership and whatnot mm-hmm. so i just that that's the first thing i tell people that, that that come to me in my dm saying hey i want to be a mental health advocate do you have any advice and i say be real be honest or don't do it like this is a be the real, reason be why honest. be real be honest don't do it or don't do yeah, it just make it simple right um like the reason why i i did so well as a mentor is because I would always share my story honestly and my lived experience and my current experience. And the families would be like, yo, like, okay, like you've been nothing but honest with us. And then they would say, well, how much do you charge? I'm like, nothing. The only thing I, I want as payment is to see your child just grow. And that's, and that's the way it's always been for me. And uh, it's just, it's a sad reality when I see a lot of frauds in the, in the mental health industry and, they eventually do long-term get caught. And it's it's scary because that brings a stigma to the mental health advocacy world, unfortunately. Well, I think regardless, what you're really doing is bringing the stigma out of mental health by talking openly and empowering others to do the same and not being a fraud. Exactly. Um, and hopefully at the same time, being in the gaming, encouraging people to have healthy breaks from the gaming so that they don't become a compulsive gamer. <laughs> That's my dis, uh, my disclaimer. But thank you so much for sharing with us, everybody here, uh, your story, your experience, and why and how mental health advocacy can be such a powerful tool uh, along alongside many tools for mental health. Of course. And of course, a disclaimer. This podcast and all of our mental health learning and educational content is not therapy and is not a replacement for therapy. Please seek professional help if needed. Go to www.resolve with two vs.ca to get the support you need. And that's all for now. We hope this was helpful in some small way. If you like our content, please subscribe and give us a five star review wherever you are listening. Make sure to keep updated with all of our content on Instagram, TikTok, and Twitter. And of course, Come check us out at www.resolve, that's resolve with two vs.ca to learn more about how our services can support your needs. Till next time, time, take take care. care. Theme song for this podcast is done by the band Mokuse no Maguro in their song, Midnight Empty Street.